What up, what up, you guys? Welcome to episode number four of the Down in the Dirt podcast. We are getting dirty talking baseball. I am your host, Carson Lee, and today I'm joined on the show by my good friend, my teammate, Justin Cortesis. He is from Fort White, Florida. We're out of high school. He went to St. John's St. Rivers State College to begin his career. He ultimately ended up taking two years off and decided he wanted to resume playing again, where he went on to play at Pensacola State College and wound up getting an opportunity to play at the University of South Carolina, Beaufort. So listen in as Justin talks about his journey from high school to junior college and to his four-year university. He also shares why he gave up on baseball and what ultimately motivated him to want to start playing again. The work he had to put in and how he once again landed in a college program and was awarded a scholarship. We talk about Justin's transition into professional baseball. And we get into our travels up in the Can-Am League in Canada. And the differences between college baseball, professional baseball, and even the minor differences there are in the different professional leagues. We answer some of the social media questions and get into what it takes to have such a great looking beard that we all strive for and the products he used to keep the girls away. We talk about some of the quirky things that go on down in the bullpen with those pitchers and we finish the interview with the quick fire round of questions. I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Justin and you can see the love and passion this dude has for the game and the great personality he has that makes him such a great teammate. But, of course, before we start the interview, I have to ask you guys that at the end of the episode, you like the episode and you leave a comment below of what you thought. Give me some feedback on how the podcast is doing, what you do and you don't like, and maybe share with me some of the things that you want me to talk about on the show. Be sure to share the link with your friends so they can listen also. And don't forget to subscribe so that you are notified whenever a new episode is out. Remember the podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and YouTube. I just want to let you know that I truly appreciate you guys for tuning in, listening, and once again that this podcast is nothing without the support of the people listening to it. So thank you. But now, let's get on to the interview with Justin Cortesis. I hope you guys enjoy. Alright, so I'm sitting here with the man... The myth, the legend, the bearded one, the redneck rocket, <laughs> Mr. Justin Cortesis himself. How you doing, bud? Not too bad. My friend, how are you? Doing great. It's our last week out here in Florida, man. Yeah. All right, so let me give you guys a little bit of history on uh, Justin. So he is a third baseman, also a pitcher. <laughs> More of a pitcher, right? <laughs> it seems to be the... <laughs> That seems to be what it's turning The, the general out to be. consensus? That seems to be what it's turning out um, He's from Fort White, Florida. He went to junior college at the, at, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, Pensacola State College, and then he went to the University of South Carolina, Beaufort, and NAIA in the Sun Conference. Correct. That is correct. And little then, known, little known actual fact, though. I didn't, Pensacola State wasn't my first college. I went to St. John's River State College out of high school. I signed as a left-sided fielder. I didn't even I wasn't even allowed to pitch my freshman year in college, which actually, going back to the episode where you and Pete were talking, uh, touching on the fact that 
you guys talking about fires that driven you driven you to get where you're at today. Uh, my coach, the head coach there at the time, told me that if I was to ever step on a college mound, I would blow my shoulder out. And I just kind of <laughs> took that and ran with it because somebody told me something I couldn't do. So, and now I'm in my second professional year as a pitcher, so and I can't even hit anymore. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I was looking, you know, I was doing the research for the episode, and I was looking back at the pictures of college. Dude, you're a different man now. Yeah, I mean, I've... Uh, if you guys, if you're watching the live video stream, I guess it's not live, but the YouTube stream, look at this beard this guy has. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting a little intense. It's gotten, I'd say this is probably one of its longer points, but it's, I think it's been a little bit longer, not as well maintained, but I think it was a little bit longer. The, must, the mustache is the thing. That the, the mustache was a lot longer, but it's been trimmed up. Yeah. But now I went from uh, a couple of different transformations. I was actually fat at one point <laughs> in college, and that was another <laughs> morphing change. But yeah, I went from clean. I don't think I've been shaved down to the face though since Pensacola. So yeah, I, like, I mean, those pictures, you were like scruff. Yes. I didn't even know who you were. Yeah. You were like a completely different man. I'm a completely different human. It's all right. At, at the end of the episode... Uh, we'll have some fun with the beard. Yeah. We had a couple listeners that were uh, interested about the beard. Oh, they um, always are. Let's, let's jump right into it. Um, right off the bat, we have a question from uh, R. Maldonado24, Ryan Maldonado. Um, he has the same question I have. How long have you been playing baseball? What's the story? How'd you get started? Um, you know, growing up. Playing select ball, what, what's the Justin Cortez story? Gotcha. So, uh, the beginning, most like many of you guys who listen and many who I've played with and against for a lot, all these years, uh, I started five years old, probably around that age, playing T-ball, came up, um, came from a really small town, so I kind of just played in the recreational leagues around until I was 15 and uh, started getting into a little bit better player at that point in time, so finally started getting some attention from different surrounding counties for people so finally got on a travel team at the age of 16 and uh we went and did a couple little tours of some colleges i got a uh, scholarship offer from the st john's river state college in palaka florida to uh play infield or outfield for them went to, to st john's uh out of high school i played uh three years of high school baseball varsity level or i played all through high school actually and middle school but kind of just jumped ahead there <laughs> But it's all good, man. Yeah, I played a little bit of travel ball from 16 on up, and then played through high school. Had my one scholarship offer, so I went to St. John's River, and that's where I had my first injury, which I tore uh, my labrum in my left arm. I thought you were supposed to tear it on the right shoulder. Yeah, what, what, I know. This guy, this guy had it completely backwards. Yeah. <laughs> he told me to do this, and I did the other. So, yeah. <laughs> I tore my shoulder, I dislocated my shoulder, tore my labrum, and uh, that's where I actually finished up the year, didn't have that great of a freshman year, decided I was going to quit baseball, and I actually hung it up. Really? Yeah. I uh, I actually had quit this game. Yeah, a lot of people, people who know me back home, just because they've, you know, they've been with me through a lot of the journey, because my town, like I said, it's very small, so whatever somebody does, everybody knows, so they've kind of kept up with that, but... A lot of people don't know that I did. I quit for almost two years, and uh, I finally got uh, the drive burnt back into me to get after it, and I went to an open trial at uh, Pensacola State College for a pitcher, as a pitcher only, and I earned a walk-on spot there uh, that fall, and then that spring I earned a scholarship and had a, uh, I was a bullpen guy for them, and then I furthered my career on through college after that. So let's jump back to the beginning real quick. 
you even play travel ball until you were 16. So I was 16. So what, you know, you because I guess you're already a sophomore at that point, right? Yeah. So was there any kind of a, a competition uh, gap from what you'd been playing to jumping into travel ball, or was it kind of just not, now you're just traveling to go places instead of just playing baseball? Well, not really. I actually had played up in a lot of leagues. I had to get – so for the rec league that I was playing in, I had to get approval from the Babe Ruth Commission to play in the league higher up at 11 years old because they were 13 to 15-year-old kids. I got you. So the competition was just better. I played with those kids up there. But I had been playing at such a higher level, young, younger, and not doing bad. I guess I was just doing as good as everybody else. It didn't. I didn't really catch anybody's attention until I was finally mandated to be in my own age group. And that's when I started to show So then, And then once you uh... – went into travel ball. That's when you started getting recruited. Right. Well, we started from... getting outside the area of where I've just played ball. And so then you're just getting seen by college college uh, coaches and stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah, we would do – we did a college tour when I was 16. We went to the University of Jacksonville, uh, St. John's River State College, um, I think Polk, Pasco Hernando, a couple other JUCOs throughout the state. And we went and played at different stadiums and, uh, and parks. And that's where – that's basically how I got my exposure. So – not a lot. I don't. I didn't really follow baseball growing up. I didn't really watch a lot of TV. So I mean, I knew I loved to play the game, and that was about it. Yeah. And yeah. I just kept going to wherever they would let me play at, basically. Which is what we're still doing. In a nutshell, <laughs> I'd like to say I'm a little bit smarter about it. <laughs> the, the, the way we're going about it. Uh, yeah, that's the way we're going. Where they roll the balls out, we're going to play. <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell. Um. Did you have? Did you play any other sports in? in high school or was just baseball the only thing you were, you were doing so you I, said you said you know baseball was your love but you didn't you didn't particularly follow the game right i didn't particularly follow the game it's just because i had a lot of extracurricular stuff going on back home like i was always either working with my dad or going out and i'm just a very i'm a very outdoorsy person as you could probably see if you're watching the feed <laughs> i'm very scruffy and i like to be i look like i should be out of the elements but i just uh i can't get enough outside in the outdoors and I never really just sat around a TV. That's never was really my high thing on the priority to-do list. So it was hard for me. I never really kept track of ball. I just knew if I could go play baseball, that's what I was going to do. So I would just rather go do that instead. Yeah. So now, you know, you you said you got into college your first year and you ended up quitting. Um, Let's talk about that. Was there any any specific reason or you just weren't enjoying the game? How how did that kind of happen? So, after my injury, I went through therapy through the school. I had a nice recovery process. I was able to come back, and the starting spot for our teams had already been filled up. I knew I'd just have to get my opportunities when I did. And being young, it was probably immaturity that really hurt me the most because I'd gone from an everyday player coming from such a small town. Like, I was pretty talented in my pool, but finally being in an area where you have the talented person on every team, on the one team now, it was a big transition. So... I would say, looking back at it now with a clearer mind, I'd say a little bit was immaturity and not being prepared and able to handle that and process that truthfully. Um, but I mean, the head coach didn't have the best relationship after things had transpired through the season. So for my best, I figured for my best outlook, it was just time for me to get out of that situation. Yeah. And nobody before me from my school, since it's so small, went to college and pursued baseball like I had. I was the third person from my high school to get picked up on a baseball scholarship after all. So this was my only option. I decided to leave it. I truthfully didn't know where to go next. Yeah. So like a lot of people, I just went back home. But I went back home and started working full time 
as an aircraft mechanic, actually, and I did sheet metal repairs on uh, United Airplanes, A320s and A319s. Well, I'm glad I'm flying United to go home. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Those days would be way good taking care of. I'm not of. working there anymore. So. <laughs> so, they may not be as sturdy as when I was there, but, but yeah, man, I quit, and uh, I went back home because that's the only thing I knew how to do, and I went to work. Because that's just where I was raised. So and so, how long until you start playing again? I went to work full-time. I continued my education. I got my associate's degree in the second year in college like I was supposed to. And um, I graduated, or I got my associate's degree, and I didn't want to waste any more money. Because, I, like I said, I come from a small town. I really don't have too much pocket change rolling around. So I couldn't waste any money on classes that I didn't know I needed. So I took uh, I stopped going to school until I figured out which direction I wanted. So I went back to working with my dad. I worked with my dad growing up. This is another flashback. But I worked uh, construction and heavy equipment with my dad since I was a little kid. It's a family-operated business. So I decided to go work back with him, which I've done every summer and every free chance of time I've got. And uh, after about six months of doing it, I decided This is not for me. I figured if I was going to dedicate my life to doing something 10 hours a day, and uh, it was going to be something I enjoyed. So I decided to put the spikes back on. I started training. Uh, six months later, I went to an open tryout. I slept on a, my buddy's couch halfway uh, there at midnight, woke up at 5 in the morning, drove to Pensacola, sat through three hours of rain, waited for it to clear up, and threw a bullpen. And they offered me before I, uh, before I left the parking lot. So it's, it's, crazy. it's crazy what a little determination will do to somebody. Exactly. And, and you know, that determination... Like we talked about on Pete's podcast, the reason for this podcast is why we're still here. And so, you know, I want to share these stories so people know that, you know, I think, I think that's good insight because I, I get a lot of questions of from guys that say, well, I didn't make the team my freshman year. What should I do? Or, right. you know, I'm not playing travel ball. What should I do? Or they have all these different excuses because everyone thinks that the path is supposed to be four years of high school, four years of college, first round draft pick. Um two years in the minor straight to the big leagues. And right. It doesn't work like that. You can play professional baseball. You can play college baseball by taking all these different avenues, which is what you've your, your story shows. Not right. playing travel ball until 16, and then even taking a year off, and you still wound up playing four years of college baseball. Mm-hmm. And now have two years of professional experience, and we're going into our third. So Correct. Which know. is, it, it's that's the thing. I think we all get painted a beautiful picture of how it's supposed to be played out. And a lot of it's fed by, you know, other coaches and players kind of feeding that into everybody's ego because you got to have that mindset that you want it yeah. to really get it. But the truth is the few – there's very few that get that route that everybody envisions. And, and the unfortunate reality is the ones that are getting that route, it's not us. They're, they're the ones that are the first-round draft picks. They are the freaks of baseball. Yes. You'll hear that at every level. There's just freaks of baseball. That, they, they've, that been, they've been gifted, but, you know – those guys were destined from that at a young age. You could see the difference in talent. In high school, you knew this guy was, was going to be a top draft pick, and that's their path. And you know, that's a very small percentage of guys. So, And that's not us. But there's still ways that you can get it done if you have that determination like we talked about. But I didn't see that, and I I would just take the liberty of saying you didn't see that until you've become older and you've been through these different levels. Exactly. It's, so. it's the adversity you have to go through. Uh, you, you know, to get there. Uh, but let's, let's talk about now Pensacola State. 
you go back, you're going back to school, going back to playing college baseball. Was there any transition getting back into it, or was it fairly <coughs> simple? And did what was the season like? Um, throwing a lot of questions at you here. No, no, it's good. good. <laughs> what, what was the season like, and then transition to your recruiting process of leaving Pensacola to go to uh, University of South Carolina. Buford. Buford. Right. Did I say Beaufort last time? No, I don't think so. I think you said Buford. <laughs> okay, just make sure I got it right. No, no, I'm, no, I'm bad with my words. That's okay. I, I English very terrible sometimes. <laughs> so, Pensacola State. I went there. Like I said, I went there as a pitcher only. And this is kind of the funny thing. This is the struggle I've been facing ever since then. <laughs> and it's just haunted me every place. Right, we um, talk about this every day. So, I went there and uh, I threw very well for a bullpen. They kind of got my backstory and I told them. And uh, I actually... They kind of offered me in the parking lot, but I told them I had to leave because I had to work the next day. So it was a five-hour drive back to my house, and it was like two in the afternoon because we had to wait to pitch because of the rain. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, hey, guys, appreciate it. You know, thanks for letting me come out and throw. I was like, but I got to go. And they're like, well, don't you want to hang out? And I was like, I can't. I got to go to work because, you know, I need to make some money. <laughs> and uh, I left. They uh, they called. They offered. I went back. And uh, the transition back wasn't hard at all for me because I just wanted to be there for so long because I had finally stepped into a real working environment with responsibilities and you know the consequences for your actions were there at your feet if you were to do something wrong yeah. with especially with working on like I said I did aircraft repairs like that was there was no joke like 18 year old 19 year old kid was coming out of college and you know you just gotta <laughs> figure it out so especially with an aircraft right but uh, I so I figured I was like you know I just I'm not ready for all that responsibility yet so I decided to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, going back to Penn School wasn't hard. I don't mind going to school. I'm actually for being as big of a goofball as I am. I'm actually very good with my studies. Like I put that. Well, first. no, you you have your you have you have your responsibilities in check. I do, you, and, you know, and I feel like I've I've always been pretty decent at doing yeah. that. But. It's a, it's a hard transition for some guys, especially at junior college level. And I kind of went through that phase my freshman year. But after seeing it, being out of it for so long, and finally getting my focus on what I wanted to do and be successful at, it was very easy for me to go back. And uh, no, I had to get my schoolwork done, but I also had to put in time for this and that if I yeah. wanted to you know, be where I wanted to be for baseball. So that year at Pensacola, it really wasn't even that good of a year. I was a reliever. I think I had like a sub – or I had like a yeah sub five ERA, not too bad, probably forty something innings, and uh, had a couple offers coming out from different NAIA schools. And uh, truth of reality was, my time clock to go to a higher division other than NAIA was literally running out. I waited so long to go back to school. Yeah, I could only go to NAIA due to their regulations. Yeah, which what he's what he's <laughs> talking about is if you go to NCAA. Uh, Division one, Division two, II, Division three. You have to play four years in five years. So as soon as you play your first year, uh, that clock starts ticking. You have five years to do those four years. So that's what he's referring to when he says that um, his clock was was slowing down. Correct. I I wasted so many years that technically I was on my fourth year, and if a larger school was to pick me up, I would only be eligible for one more year. So a lot of schools didn't really have a lot of interest in me because yeah. of that and which kind of hurt me but there were still I still had some decent offers I had a couple of division two offers um that were kind of far away from home I hadn't had a really decent year and I was like you know my parents love to come watch me play and I'm all about you know I'm all about family I'm a big family guy 
I love my mom. I'm not afraid to show that or my dad. And it's, I thank them for everything they do. So I was like, if I could be close to them and play close to them so they can watch, yeah. that'd be for the best. So I got a call, uh, <clears throat> I got a call one day from our coach. He said there was a coach who was interested in me. It turned out to be uh, Brian Llewellyn from University of South Carolina, Beaufort. And uh, met with Lou, he's just kind of a real laid back guy. And he was like, man, we kind of, we have a beach. And he's like, we kind of <laughs> live on a resort. He's like, our baseball field's not the best. And he was just real kind of down to earth with it. And I was like, I can, I can hang with this guy. I was like, if I'm going to do my last two years somewhere, I was like, on the beach with a guy like this doesn't seem too bad. Yeah. So we uh, ended up being actually really freaking good. My junior year, we were like fifth in the country at one point. We had a regional run, hosted our regionals that year. Season came to a short, short, screeching halt <laughs> right there at regionals. But it was, uh, it was one of the best decisions that I thought I made in my life. Just because I was really enjoying being a part of the game again and having that camaraderie as a team and a teammate. It was just something really, really special. And that's, there's two things off that I want to emphasize. Um, I, want to, I want to emphasize the first one first because it's kind of a smaller picture thing. But you said that you enjoyed those two years there. Not only were y'all good, but y'all had you had a good relationship with your coach. Um, you know, those are a lot of things I think people underlook when they're, they're re- getting recruited to college because they're just looking at, you know, the big name, the status of the school that it's Texas, it's Oregon, right. it's it, you know North Carolina, it's whatever, and they don't think about the fact that you know how much playing time are they going to get? What's this program like? What kind of players does this coach? Uh, cater to right um you know how can i develop my skills in these four years like how is this setting my baseball career up and i i know i did that i didn't look at it that way when i was young mm. and you know i think it sounds like when you got to go into uscb that you start having that perspective on it and a lot of guys i think if they could have that perspective in high school it would make them a lot more enjoyable for their college career because you know a lot of guys just like i said they don't look at it that way they just see the big status and, and they they want to have you know it it's nice to have a big prestigious name on your chest but if you're not enjoying it and you don't have a good relationship with your coach you're not developing what what good is it doing here? it's not doing you any good at all. right it's it's hard to develop then and then once it becomes that trying times it's very hard to persevere through exactly and, and a lot of people have, have trouble you know getting through that adversity um, like you said you know to persevere through that um, but then the second thing I want to emphasize or, or kind of point out, talk about, is you did junior college and into a four-year school, which is also what I did. And I'm so thankful for that route because, for me, one of my biggest things about going to junior college was I wanted to step in and play my freshman, sophomore year. Right. I didn't want to go to a four-year school and have to be stuck behind the sophomore that's a stud or, or you know, wait till my junior year because I'm getting 20 at-bats my freshman year and 100 my sophomore year or whatever, you know gradually coming into getting playing time mm-hmm. um was there so that was that something you thought of out of high school or was that just kind of how how the path planned out um you know what are your what are your thoughts about that that you could shed some light um to guys that really don't even know anything about junior college or kind of intimidated by going to junior college they don't think they're going to get recruited by a big four-year university right uh well it kind of honestly just you got to be really honest with yourself at some point and just see if you can, because everybody wants the dream of going to a four-year big prestigious school. And, you know, even if you do have that spot behind somebody, you're like, oh, my time's coming if I just put in these two years. Yep. The fact of the matter is that time, it, it's most reality of the time, that's not going to happen. Um, I'm very thankful I went to junior college first. I think it's a great experience. I think it teaches a lot of 
people about because a lot of junior college stuff is just it's kind of dirty and grimy and just just like this podcast. It's It's just like down in the dirt. It's down in the dirt, man. It's but it's just like a very good building block that I feel like people need to go through, especially athletes need to go through. Um, other than going to a four-year school, because it's a completely different setting. Most junior colleges are in smaller communities, smaller towns. It's predominantly athletes, and it's just... You, you learn to be a family with guys. That's it. That's, you, you learn to bond with something other than your family, and you learn to build off of like that. You yes. have to figure out how to, who to trust and this, that. and It's a good life-building place, honestly, truthfully. So, But the transition, because I think there's a point to where you have to go through these types of phases and junior college is a good place to go through a lot of phases that you're going to go through when you're 18, 19 through baseball and life in general. And then once you grow out of that phase, which is probably in about two years, you usually want to go somewhere else and start getting into more of like a real life setting. Yeah. And then that really grooms you to be at the university and, and, you're mature, so you're better prepared for it. I right. Think. I think it shows you how you were, and then if you stay in that setting for another year, you kind of see that you were like, okay, this was me last year, and I'm yeah. here now, and I knew I respected this person who was in my shoes before me. Yeah. So you kind of, it just kind of is a building chain. Yeah. So after your four years of college through junior college and uh, your two years at USCB. USCB. What would you say is your. Which the Sand Sharks? I love that freaking the Sand that's Sharks. Such a sick. Our uh, bus driver one such time. Such a sick mascot. Our bus driver one time for two years. He called us. He called for the first year. He actually called us the Sand Nats. He didn't even know what we were. <laughs> we were the Sand Sharks. The Sand Nats getting on the bus. He is what to say. He's like, "What's the Sand Shark? Is that a, is that a bug?" And we're like, "No, it's a shark." <laughs> uh, but so after those four years, what was your best college moment? You'd say best college moment as in just overall. Just overall. Oh my God! I'd probably say there's there's a couple big time moments where you know being the cl- being like a clutch person in a game is always a big star moment. But I don't know, man. Uh, I'd probably say clenching because I've never won a, like a district or a championship or anything like that. So probably my best college moment was. Probably first getting the scholarship back into baseball. That's a big one yeah. that I hold pretty dear. But I'd say whenever we won our dish, we clinched our conference championship my junior season with that team I was talking about. It's if you've hung around me, which I've referenced that team a lot because it was just such a great year for me in my life. So I'd probably say my entire junior season of my college baseball career, just, just the whole season was it was something that I'd always dreamed about and wanted. And we may not have went to the World Series or won anything, but. It was such a great it's the, the experience. Mem- memories you created. Oh my goodness! I, I'm friends with. I still talk to half that team to yeah. this day, once a week, more likely. And that's you know, even though you know I've said this before, even though I left my my junior college, uh, TJC, I left them my sophomore year to go to Northlake, but and they went on to win the World Series that year. And that's one thing I, I always say is I believe that that chemistry is what propelled them to win that national championship not that they didn't have the talent right, right, right. but it just it gave so much more to the team for what was going on on the field and off the field because everybody was playing for each other and it wasn't a selfish me game and i guarantee and, you if you ask anybody else on that team they would agree yeah because it's just you, you become a family and like you said you know through junior college through through the school it's the camaraderie you, you build with the guys around and it's such a different experience because you're with them you know really year round yeah from august to to june they become uh, your actual family when you yeah. leave your family yeah exactly 
So now you graduate college. Graduate college. What was you know you're tr transitioning into pro ball? You end up going to Garden the Garden City Wind. What was that transition like? How how did you get set up with uh, Garden City? And then we'll jump into a nice little transition into good old Pecos League. Good old Pecos League. <laughs> so I actually when I finished up my senior year, I wasn't talking to anybody. I didn't have any offers on the table. Um, nothing really came of it. Um, I tried to get my college coach to, you know, kind of give me a direction because I was like, hey, man, I kind of want to play some more. And he was kind of gave me a roundabout answer and was kind of like, I'll get back to you on it and kind of left it at that. So I made some phone calls to some buddies who I played with all through college and just kind of picking their brain to see what they were doing because the draft was coming up. And, you know, we were like, maybe we get some free agent deals, you know, the hopefuls. <laughs> I'll take a late 40, you know, round I pick. mean, I'll take anything. I'll take anything. Team playing baseball. Yeah, everybody's in. I'll go for a ham sandwich and just a bus ticket. And I'll yeah. pay for the bus ticket. Yeah. And the sandwich. So, I don't know, man. We just kind of sat there and waited and nothing happened. And I called my friend. He said, give this guy a call, uh, which was Marvin Speaks. He works, uh, he's a coach for the Catawba Valley Stars and the uh, Virginia Valley League. Carolina Valley League. I oh, yeah, I know, I know that league. And, the uh, Summer League, right? Yes. Yeah, I know that and, league. And uh, they take seniors on, I believe, some of those teams. So I was a senior. I didn't have a – like, I was basically finished with school for the semester. And um, I just wanted to keep playing. So I called him. He said, come on up. I came up, and uh, I threw a bullpen for him. I actually threw a live game for him. I threw in a game live for him. And uh, I threw three innings. I struck out, like, four or five people. And I was I – was Pretty letting it go, and he uh, he looked at me in the dugout. He said, "We'll get you somewhere by the end of the month." And uh, I drove up to North Carolina to Hickory, North Carolina, every Friday or Thursday, depending on when we were playing games. And I would pitch against the Coastal Plains teams we were playing because they were the better teams. And I would start. I would drive five hours, sleep in Marvin's house in a little attic on an air mattress. And then we would get up, go play, and when we get done, I would get in my truck and drive back because it would be Sunday and I'd have to go to work on Monday. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> it was I, – I did kind of a Pecos – pre-Pecos grind before I got <laughs> to the Pecos. But uh, that was a great experience. Huge shout-out to the Top of the Valley Stars and uh, Marvin Speaks for just being a great all-around guy because he gave me a shot whenever, you know, kind of when nobody was there. Yeah. And uh, stuck his hand out, helped me, and uh, – he pointed me in the direction of uh, David Peterson, which was the manager of the Garden City win at the time. And uh, I was with Marvin, I think, for a month. Giraffe came and went, and uh, he sent me out to the Pecos League. And I was there for the last two weeks of the season, or three weeks of the season. <laughs> and so now transitioning into the Garden City win, the Pecos League, um, <clears throat> we would go on, me and, me and Justin would go on to play for the California City Whiptails this past year. Mm -hmm. And then we went and played in Canada for the Salina Stockade in the Can-Am League. Um, we were there for about two weeks. Um, but So what was the transition like for you going from college to pro ball? And, you know, because now it, it is pro ball. Even though the stuff that we, we have to deal with um, off the field, which, you know, it, it's it's part of the grind. It, it comes with the territory. Right. But on the field, the baseball aspect, how was that transition different from, from college? <clears throat> so college, which it was – it's such a – it's kind of hard for me to answer that question because my junior year, the one I always, like I said, the one I'm going to reference a bunch, we went from two coaches that really didn't try to tell you how to play. They just let us play our game, which 
overall made us better. Yeah. Because there was nothing trying to – no forces opposing against each other. The, we had a brand-new coach come in my senior year who was a very developmental type of coach. And he would try to develop guys into something that he wanted them to be instead of, like, just working off their natural abilities of what got them to where they were. Because uh, he was just getting a brand-new team, like none of these guys that yeah. he had recruited. So it was it was kind of like we were fighting against each other most of the year. And um, to get from that to somebody's trying to tell you what to do every day, you have a set schedule by these guys, to getting to pro ball where it's, we play at this time, these are our times to do this slot, this is our time slot for this, this is our time slot for that. And it's kind of on you at that point, which I have no problem, much like yourself. I'm very self-disciplined at this point where I can, I will put aside the time to go hit, do this, especially when it's allotted for us. Like, yeah. I have no problem. There's no excuse not to get there. So it's just, it's. It, I think it was a lot easier to go from having somebody try to constrict you down and hold you accountable to their ideas and things to being able to do your own thing, but you have this allotted time to do it. And this is when you're supposed to do it. And if you don't, it's on you. Because if exactly. you don't produce, then you don't play. Exactly. It's your career at the end of the day. Right. So uh, self-accountability is, I think, the best thing in pro ball because it just kind of weeds the guys out who don't want to be here. Yep. And uh, I think overall benefits the guys who do, yep. truthfully. So I, I, I actually enjoyed the tra- transition from college ball to pro ball. I think it was so great. was there ever a mo- was has there ever been a moment for you in these past two years? Because um, you know you hear <laughs> I've gone somewhere. Yeah, I was just like, what? I'm going somewhere Man, different we, with this question. Some emotions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but was there ever that uh, that feeling of you know like a lot of guys or for, for me for instance I've had friends talk about that there's you know the grind they talk about the grind right you know how tough the grind is. Was there ever a feeling for you where where the grind was too much for you, or you ever like this is you know the grind is it's a struggle? Because for me, like I made that transition, and like you said, I didn't have to worry about anything playing baseball, playing baseball, show up for BP. I have my allotted time slots, play the game, go home, get your personal side work in. Yes, yes, sleep, and then go gym next morning, do it all again the next day. So for me, I never understood what guys meant by the grind. Right. So for you. What's your perspective on the grind? So the grind, the grind is just the everyday. It's, it's so funny because you hear this uh, every age group. It's the little things, and it truthfully is. That's the grind. The grind is: Do you want to go play every day? Everybody's going to say yes, but do you want to go play every day and hit the gym afterwards after being in the sun for a couple hours, after standing out there and not getting to play, but you got to, you know, umpire some of these games <laughs> after, you know. You, and it's the little things. It's like, man, I want to go home and just sleep. Well, you know, you may go home and just sleep, but somebody else is going home. You know, they may sleep, but they're going to get back and go to the gym probably. Yeah. And you may just sleep through the night. So it's, I don't know, man. It's. Is there such a thing as the grind? The grind is just, it's just the everyday, because it's a monotonous thing. You get up and do the same thing every day. We're coming to play baseball. And you know that's your job at the end of the day. That's it. You know that's what you're gonna do every day from here on out. I mean, I think that kind of mentally wears on guys. And for me, I haven't gotten to a point yet, I'd say, where the grind truthfully has like bothered me. But I've questioned myself. I've questioned myself on a daily basis. I think we all do. And I think it's because you know we all want to know, man, is it is this worth it? Is it you know? But if you put in the actual time and the effort and you truthfully know that you've put in 100%, at the end of the day, you really don't have to ask that question because yeah. the results are there. Yeah, and it, it's about the journey. And 
not the destination ultimately. Right. It's about enjoying all the stuff that we get to do and that comes with uh, these opportunities. I think that's the grind. The grind is like knowing if you put in that extra hard work, you will get that extra benefit at the end of the day. But it's just a lot of people aren't willing to put – they're willing to put 95%, but not that 100%, just in case. Yeah. So I think the few and far between that put that 100%, they're That's the ones who propels, are truthfully go through the propels, propels them forward, too. Right. So, and, and talking about propelling forward, like I said, we got to go up to the Can-Am League, um, which is a higher independent league. Um, they would equivalent it to double-A baseball because of, of the experienced guys that they have playing on those teams. Um, and we got a little taste of that going up there for the two weeks that we were there. Oh, yeah. What was, in your perception, what was the biggest difference from playing – in the Can-Am League and playing with guys that have a lot more experience and a lot better resumes than we do mm-hmm. and have been affiliated ball and, you know, even a few big leaguers that we played against, yeah. like the guy from uh, when we were in Quebec. And then, you know, what was the difference from playing from that to playing, you know, Pecos League and, and kind of, you know, the rookie ball, essentially, of independent baseball? So you, like the, the actual game, like the speed, or like the whole – game or like just, just anything, everything yeah just anything in general that was you know well was, obviously the the leagues are a lot better the the can the can league is obviously a lot better than the pecos league it's a little more well-funded better stadiums better crowds they have better stuff to go with it the game's a lot faster and our games they would drag on necessarily or unnecessarily sometimes for hours and i can see why nobody wants to come watch that no one wants to come watch a four-hour ball game but people like to watch quick fast pace games so that was the one thing that was a big change from our league to that league was the pace even between innings you know i i got my first taste of that um coming up you get two minutes between innings i don't care i don't care what you're doing that clock hits whenever the inning starts if you're not warming that two minutes and throw your ball one ball in there so he can throw it down and get started but it's it's a lot faster paced um Strike zones are a little bit better in the higher leagues. <laughs> this is without the robot, too. Yes, this is without the robot. It's which honestly, I, I you know, as a pitcher, like God, man, this guy's squeezing me. But truthfully, it makes you better because it kind of just shows you if you've got your stuff or not. If you want to talk the junk and get up there, well, do it. You've got to hit a like seven inch square with a man holding a bat in the box right there who's trying to whale it. So. I think it truthfully hones in your skills when you play up at a higher level like that because it kind of just makes you focus. And a lot of people, I think it shows if they can't or not. Yeah, because you gotta, you gotta. The pressure's up your, on. Up your game. Too. That's it. It's a lot. E- it's a lot easier to do that stuff in the pickup league because there's not as many eyes on you. You're not really in a spotlight area. But on those fields, those lights are very bright. Yes. On that mound, it is a very lonely place. And if you get in a tough spot, you have to get yourself out of it. So. I think it honestly just sharpens you down and hones you in. and But it's still baseball at the end of the day. That's it, truthfully. And if you're not, honestly, this is the biggest thing. When guys talk to me about stuff, and my number one thing is, it's like, why did you play baseball when you were five years old when we all said we started playing baseball? You tell me one reason why. We want to have, have fun. Did you love it? Did you have fun? Yes. It was a fun game, right? Yes. You didn't know anything other than it was a lot of fun to hit that ball or throw that thing. Yep. And I'm like, if you can't find that strange little love that you had when you were five years old when you knew nothing about it, because we know a lot more about it now. Yeah. You know ten times the amount I do. And I don't. I feel like I really don't know that much about baseball, other than I love it so much 
I want to play it every day and just be on the field. Yep. And I'll do that any way I can. You've seen today. I literally umpired for four innings. I was in left for two. <laughs> and then I was at third for two. And I just started the day before. So it's just, like, if you don't have that love still, and you still can't just show up to the ballpark just to do stuff. At, a, at 25 years old. At 25 years 26, old. 26, 27, 28. I'll be 26 in two months. It's, uh, if you can't just show up to the ball field and have a great time with it, then it's honestly probably not the thing that you truly love. Though. Exactly. Now, transitioning to uh, postseason, once the season's over, your off-season routine. <clears throat> oh, man. What's... Because I know, you know, for you, I know you're you're training for the for the third base side, but also the pitcher side. So you're still training as a position player. Right. But what when you go into it with the pitcher's mentality, <coughs> what's a pitcher's offseason like? So uh, my take us through that. So like I said, I've been battling. We're rolling way back here, but this is a funny side note that I thought you guys would enjoy if you're listening. Is the whole reason I liked Lou whenever he picked me for college because I asked him in there whenever he was recruiting me. I said, hey. Um, I can hit because at Pensacola, the hitting coach wouldn't let me hit. I got one AB and hit a line drive back at the shortstop. Never got one again because the season was over. But I asked that coach if I could hit, and he said, if you can come out and earn a spot, I ended up starting the I hit in the four hole the first game we played in the season. <laughs> so I was kind of a fan of him because he let me hit. But um, truthfully, I think I train a lot more because I do predominantly get more eyes on me as a pitcher. And I, I train predominantly more as a pitcher in the offseason. So for the offseason, when I get done with season, I take two months completely off. I don't do a single thing other than work, obviously. Because, yeah. you know, being in the Pecos, it's not the most financially stable job. So I had to go, uh, I had to go back to work. And uh, I kind of just take a mental break from baseball. because Which is needed, I think. Right. And uh, a lot of you guys think you're pushed to the max and stretched now mentally with baseball. Yeah. You've only begun to understand it just a little bit. And if I was listening in a couple of years ago, I'd be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he's some fried guy from Florida who baked in the sun too long, so he's crazy. But what's a pitcher's off season like? So I don't do anything for two months. I don't do anything for two months. I just work and uh, I kind of, like I said, I kind of just mentally just take a breather for a while because it is exhausting because mentally every day you're kind of just trying to. You think about it. What can you improve on here? Could I do this? Try this out instead of that. What would be the effect? And um, <clears throat> just kind of just a mental break from being away from your family and stuff like that. It's nice to come home. Yeah. I mean, you finally get to come home. And we talked about this the other day. The Marlins. Uh, what was the Marlins? Chad. Chad. Chad was mentioning this that you have two personas, yeah. and you and you truly do. And I didn't realize this until later on, and being in a professional setting, like I'm a completely different person on the field, away from my family and state than I am when I'm back home. Yeah. And it's and just to be able to manage those two different people. Right. And it's tough sometimes because this, he said it the other day. He's like, sometimes this guy comes home with you. Cause I think uh, Dad Belfry from the throwing freedom said that the other day in his meeting, which is, and it's crazy because you know, a lot of people would just say that's kind of insane, but you have to, there there's, you have to dual, change in dual personalities. There is. And it's, you have to learn to manage it. And I caught myself this last season I came back home, and uh, I caught myself just kind of being the way I was in California, which, you know, it wasn't necessarily a bad person, but it's just different. And uh, when you carry that home with you, it just has some different effects because, you know, my parents were kind of like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> you need to talk to somebody? And I was just like, I'm sorry. Like, 
you know, I was just like, I'm not crazy. It's just, I need to like get back into the setting of being your son instead of being the grown man who's out on the road. Yeah. Because no one's there out when, you know, I was 2000 miles away from home. Something was to happen to me. It's on my own hands. And it's kind of like you turn into, you kind of grow into a man. So you, you find out who you are, you build your character off of that and Sometimes it's it's difficult for the parents and you when the man comes home because there'd only be one man in the house. Yeah. So. so, how soon was it before you started throwing again? You said you took two months off. I take so two months that's off. What September October? So I'd say September October, maybe even November, kind of depending on what. Um, I really didn't know when to be ready because, like I said, my first introduction to independent ball was through this guy who I met on a phone call who hooked me up in North Carolina, like. All this little bit of tidbit information, but everything kind of just rolled very fast. So I'm kind of just, just at, at at that point, you were just trying to stay ready at all times. Exactly. So like I knew I just needed to kind of like let my body kind of relax and recover for a little bit because you know being a pitcher and especially trying to throw a lot of innings in different places or like trying to fit find a role for a guy like you had to be ready. I had to be ready to be a reliever. Yeah. Or I had to be ready to take a spot start. Which is what you did this past year. You, you relieved and you started for us. Which, you know, in, in the end of it, probably wasn't the best idea, but it is what it is. In my just competitive nature, I wanted that start. You're going to give me a spot on the mound, I'm going to take it. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. It was, I usually take, I kind of just let my body tell me. If, if I feel like I need to start throwing, then I start throwing. Um, I do a very, very simple exercises and I'm very old school stuff I really don't do a lot of the heavy ball stuff uh, I do uh, throw short distance to begin with probably 60 90 feet within you know the first two weeks that's as, as far as I extend it then I start trying to go out a little bit farther and a little bit farther and then start incorporating bullpens and I just have a very slow build-up process I feel like that's the best way to do it but it's accompanied by a lot of cardio and stretching and you have to be in the gym with them a lot now, and I found that's for me personally. You kind of just have to find what you know makes your body feel good and what's yeah. going to help it grow. Like I can't sit there and give people my advice on, like I can give them my routine and to be like, this is what helps me, and they're like, this is what's going to help my son. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah. this is what helped me, and your son could be completely different. Or your daughter can be completely different. But this is what I found helps me. You are more than welcome to take that, pick that apart. And I feel like you have to do that through, you know, five or six different people before you will finally truly find what helps your body grow and exactly. manage. And a lot of guys are just looking like, man, I want to throw 90. Like, you do this, right? And I'm like, like, I do that because that's how my body works. And I get a lot of people who tell me a lot of times, it's like the catcher the other day, he told me, first thing he said to me, is like, you don't use your lower half when you throw. And I was just like, that's just not how I pitch. Like, yeah, it's completely different. You know, Chris Sale's a potentially going to be a <laughs> Hall of Fame pitcher one day if he keeps up the way he's throwing and he goes against every pitching philosophy that has hit the shelves that is a mass-produced pitching thing. Yeah. And with the guys in the bigs right now. So he's throwing 96 to 98. Right, with a, like 90-mile-an-hour slider. So yeah. it's all about you just kind of got to – you, there's no simple answers to it. You so you got to pick it apart yourself. Which you know, I, I do like that because we're all biomechanic, biomechanically built differently. But right. what for you? What was your workouts like? You know, I know 
one of the biggest things that, that guys don't really realize, um, you know, because as you get older and your reality starts setting in and guys stop playing, depending on where you're, you're, you know, you live at and who's around you, um, sometimes it's hard to get working. And I know me and you talked about this on the phone a lot during the off season, but you know we're talking about long tossing and we're taking buckets Man. and long tossing into a fence by ourselves and then picking up all the balls. <clears throat> you don't know the struggle of l- trying to long toss when you only have ninety feet to throw. Yeah, because you you just think oh, I just throw it hard into the net. Well, you can't. You don't really have a mental gauge of depth perception unless you see your ball go. And you want to talk about a frustrating thing is <laughs> trying to long toss by yourself. So the only way you can truly do it is to get on a long field and just get a bucket full of balls and just throw them. And just throw them. And just throw them. Yep. Because, and I'm See, done. I, li- I like doing that on a football field so I can have a gauge of how right. how far I am, how far I'm throwing the ball. Right. Which um, is smart. I've done it. I, had to use, I used to have to do it at my high school back home. And it's, you kind of just get used to, people get, people are going to stare, people are going to look, <laughs> and it's... You know, people are going to ask questions, and you kind of honestly just kind of, if you don't laugh and get a little kick out of telling people what you're doing, because a lot of people think this stuff's incredible, because they've never done something like this in their life, where they've chased a dream, yeah. or something that they wanted to do, and uh, it's, you'd be surprised at the responses you get from people that kind of will respect what you're doing. Exactly, and that's, that kind of changed my perspective, you know, after my first year, and you know, I kind of was telling people I was playing professional baseball, and I kind of realized that, like I said earlier, it's about the journey and not that the end destination. Because mm-hmm. I realized that even though I wasn't in the big leagues, people didn't care. It, it wasn't about the big leagues. It was mm-hmm. the fact that I had the opportunity to play professional baseball. Like that was a platform in itself. Right. And you know, they didn't care where it was or who it was with. Just the fact that I was able to do that, um, and that really changed my perspective on that. Just you know. People do think it's cool. Yeah, it's a once in a lifetime thing that you, you can only do it when you're young, so might as well live it up. Um, let's jump in a little bit more fun questions now. We have uh, our list. Oh, my jaw just popped. We have our listener segment uh, coming in. I want to start with a question of my own. Do you have any superstitions uh, on the baseball field? So okay, I love this. This is this is a good one. So I had three pairs of sliding shorts coming up. I had a gray pair. Which was a Mizuno pair, which I had for a long time. Okay, I'm not wearing a black <laughs> pair now. I had a black pair of Under Armors with the red sa- or the orange seams. I wore those all through Cal City. And uh, there was a silver one. The gray ones, the black ones. And I had a third one. I can't remember what the third one is now. But they're gone too. So I'm only down to two. But the days that I pitch, that I know I'm going to start, I wear the black ones. The black Under Armour with the orange writing on them, I wear those. And I don't know why. I just do the best fitting ones. <laughs> But I wear those every time I start. <laughs> so it's the sliding shorts. Is your superstition? Yeah, it's not. It's not like shoes or like put my glove on some weird way. I also had another one. Like if I was doing really good, every time I'd walk out to the mound, wherever they would throw it, I'd walk and I would straight like pick up the ball with my left hand and I'd flick it up, grab it with my right hand and rub it and put my glove under my arm. It was some weird. It was, that was a weird one, but I started I, doing that I one. Never, I never noticed that. Yeah, I, it slid pitch. under the radar for a while. So, our first one from Danielle Turner, 981, and it's also from Midnight Moose. They asked, they asked the same question. But what is your pregame routine, your pregame ritual? What is that like? Pregame ritual, pregame routine. Um, and let's, let's take this from the perspective as like being in the camp and, and just, you know, 
everything's a lot more. So we'll we'll official. give a we'll give a game day we'll give a game day scenario. Here. Yeah, like like you know your your game day routine, showing up to the field, you know, locker, BP, everything. Or we want to start from like the beginning of the day. Like yeah, like get yeah. up, go. Yeah, yeah. All right, like, so game days. I'm I'm a big Carson will tell you I'm a big uh, cook. I love to cook. It's my thing. Like that's a therapeutic thing for me. And, uh, and boy, can he cook. I cook okay. I'll say I don't do too bad for myself. But I always get up. I cook a nice breakfast for myself. I'll usually make a big omelet or something, something that really hold me down just in case, like, something crazy happens. <laughs> we got to play early. I got plenty of energy. <clears throat> I make sure I'm up. I'm very, I'm a very big time guy. Time management is a huge thing for me. So I get to the field and say the game's at 2 o'clock. I'm at the field at, like, 1230 12, probably 11.30, just because I'm just ready to go. And I, even if I was being a reliever, I'm there, there early. Uh, I get there early. I go, and I like to run when I get to the field. Um, I just – I don't know. I, I kind of just zone out. Like, I go into my own world, and I just come into the mindset that when it's my time to get handed the ball, I'm going to be ready to rock. And – I just make sure everything that I do to prepare myself. So I just listen to my body. I go run. I usually run probably two or three poles just to kind of see if I need to run some more or not. Which, I mean, the other day, we're, we're throwing the other day uh, at one of the fields out here. Yeah, and we log toss. We get done throwing. I'm going and watching one of the games that's going on on the other field. And I asked one of our other teammates, Mike, where did Cortezas go? He's like, dude, he's been gone for like 30 minutes. He went on a 40-minute run around the complex. And I was like... It's freaking one o'clock in the afternoon in Florida. It's like ninety-five degrees. Oh, yeah. What is going? We just threw. What is going on? And you're taking off running. It's the little things. It is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a guy that, that that's like long distance or I like sprints over long distance. But it's like, man, this See, guy loves I, running. I hate sprints. God, I'd rather run if it. It was if it was a choice between ten hundred-yard sprints or ten miles. I would probably take the ten miles. We did 10 miles once in college, and it was not fun. I could do it. It's just, <laughs> oh, I but, hate sprints. But, uh, so now getting back to the pregame thing, go ahead and finish off. I didn't want to cut you off. No, no, just, no, no, uh, but I do run a lot, but that's because I found that's what helps my body heal. So when I had thrown with you, um, of course, I didn't mention this, but I had started, or I threw yeah, probably did, the day before. Yeah, you did throw the day I threw before. the day before, so... Uh, one of my aftercare things after I throw or have a long start, I do like to get an extended cardio day in um, two days after I throw because um, it's just two days after in, you're usually at your shortest point. Uh, I usually get a nice arm workout in the day after I throw and then the second day after that to get all that lactic acid worked out of your body because your body warms up completely all over, especially when you're running in heat. So it's just like a good recovery thing that I've found that physically benefits me. And I feel really good afterwards. I usually go and uh, I work out at Plant Fitness, as you know, I the Purple Palace, and <laughs> use use all their hydro machines and stuff like that, which is totally worth it. But yeah, after that forty-five minute run, man, I just feel great, and it's. And so now we're we're getting into BP and game time. Anything for Spe for throwing? No, like, just just in general, just you know, getting ready for the game, and yeah, you go through your throwing routine. So What's throwing routine after I get warmed up, I usually do some bands. I'm not a big bands guy afterwards because I feel. After, after I've thrown, I feel like the bands, if you overwork an area, you're just over-tightening that. And a big part of how my pitching mechanics work is just flexibility and kind of snap through. 
So if I was to do that, I found, I found that it personally made my shoulders a lot tighter, which caused me to do a lot different stuff that I wanted to do when I was on the mound. So pregame stuff, um, if I am starting, I like to, you know, essentially get warmed up to about 90 feet. And then I kind of just work in a straight line. And you can't, unless you're watching the video, like I do work off of a straight line, imaginary line whenever I'm throwing. So everything I do is just simplified to make it to where I know every time I throw that fastball that it's going to be here, here, in this line. So yeah. my mental straight line, whenever I'm warming up, I'm trying to like calibrate that in, basically. And once I get that dialed into about 90 feet, I like to stretch it out to about 120 feet, kind of get your arm loosed up to throwing harder and at more of a max intent, but still through the zone and into like the catcher. So, But my routine is very short. It's not very long. I don't take very long to warm up other than like my initial getting to the field. Yeah. Which that's just, like I said, that kind of just depends on what the weather is because I'll run eight, ten poles before a game. I really don't care as long as my body's hot and ready. And I really can't. Uh, truthfully, I, when I start sweating a little bit, that's when I feel like I'm ready. I'm like, all right. Like, exactly. I got a little sweat on exactly. me. Exactly. Okay, we're good to go then. So uh, are you one of those guys, like say if you're in the pin that day, you're, you're relieving, are you one of those guys that, kind of has to have a heads up that you're going, I mean, obviously, you know, you want to have a heads up that you're going in, but like, needs like that extra, extra time, um, hey, Cortez, you know, you have the eighth and it's the fifth inning, like, one of those kind of things where it's... Or need to know, like, pregame, like, what... Yeah, the, yeah, like, no, like, or I, could you be told kind of on the spot, like, where you can get ready really quick, what, how, how are you in the bullpen? As a relief, because, you know, I, I know a lot of guys, you know, in the bullpen, or I shouldn't say I know, because I'm obviously playing, so I don't know what's going on down there, y'all are a bunch of freaks in the bullpen yes. but you know guys like to do their their uh, weighted balls or mm. different mobilities or bands just you know whatever makes them comfortable you know so take us through that how so like i said i'm ready to go in like i said i'm not very I, I don't do a lot of weighted ball stuff i do one drill which if you watched carson snapchat the other day was me cranking a softball into the ground as hard as i could but that's just something that i have to do that's like the only other extracurricular thing that I do besides like actual massaging of the muscles that gets me kind of ready for the game moment. And that kind of just helps me find a plant foot to really throw my body over and like get out front and throw down because I tend to leave a lot of balls up. Yeah. So that mentally helps me get out front and uh, kind of establish a plant foot on this foot to help me pitch. And other than that, it really doesn't take me very long. So, I mean, you can just. I'm kind of. I could be a spot. I could be on the spot kind of guy. I do prefer. To, I do prefer to get. You know, take my time though. And I've found that like I found that I was effective at quick. You know, quick decision time. I could pull through the job, but I did a better job once I was informed yeah. earlier. Which I mean, that, I think that's part of being a bullpen guy. Sometimes it happens. You yeah, know, on it the does. Spot. But you know, some guys are better at getting. Warmed up quickly than, than others. I mean, I know, I know, like for me personally, even like before a game, I mean, I could take five throws and be ready to go. I yeah. Don't, I don't need to just really stretch it out for ten or twenty minutes. Like I'm ready to go, you know, fairly quickly. And I know for pitchers, there that happens too sometimes. After after a good pregame, if I was to go in like a mid relief role, yeah. After because I throw before every game, um, I feel like if you have, like I just know my limitations on my arm, so. Like I said, exactly. I, I, I just, just kind of go, you just kind of have a really good understanding of your body. Yeah, so exactly. if some days I feel like I need to throw three times and call it a day and sit down, then that's what I'm going to do. And truthfully, 
if you're on, if you're kind of hanging that day, it's the best, especially if you're younger. It, do not tear your stuff to try to impress people at this point in your life, because you know, I look back at all those times where coaches like, oh, you got to power through it, or you got to. It's like you really don't have to, because you know. In fact, the there's so is, many opportunities ahead of you. Yeah, you know? you're gonna have a lot more chances ahead of you in bigger situations where you're like, I'm glad I didn't go out there because Jimmy's dad told me to. Too, so yeah. So our next question was also a playoff of our our first question from Moose, uh, Midnight Moose. Favorite stadium you've played in? It was a dual question. Favorite stadium I played in. Um, man, that's a tough one, especially after bouncing around like in a. Up there in Canada and stuff. I would probably have to say Rockland was probably my favorite. The Rockland Boulder, State, Rockland Boulder Stadium in uh, New Jersey, isn't it? Uh, I think it's New Jersey. Somewhere, maybe New York. New, Nor- New York, New Jersey. Somewhere up there in the Northeast, I don't know. It's up there. One of those two. I don't know. Like I said. Something with an end, I know that. Something. Well, they're, they're in Rockland. <laughs> yeah. So, the Rockland Boulder Stadium. Um, beautiful stadium. We that was probably the most people I've ever played in front of. Whenever they had uh, the they had some sort of celebration going, I think it was National Jewish Heritage Day, and there was probably a couple thousand people there. It was just the chatter of the ballpark was just nuts. It was like a movie. It yeah. was if you were to go sit in a movie theater and listen to a baseball game, that was that exact thing, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful sound. Kind of kind of thinking about that right now it has me reminiscing on baseball season. I could just like I can. I can hear it in my head, like being on the field and hearing. That's it. You hear the, the reactions of the crowd. The crowd's in it just as much as you are. You hear when people goof up. Some people laugh, and I it know was, it was great interactions for, with the fans. For me, I thought all those those Can-Am stadiums were the best. Um, you know, for me, my personal favorite was Quebec. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I've got to play at A and M in college. I've been, and my first year in the Pecos, we played in Tucson for Fourth of July. But Quebec was. Was unfreaking believable. Just but you got to play. You got to play on Quebec's field. I just got to. Sit yeah, there. yeah. I got to hang out at the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> Did get to play on Quebec's field, but you know, still, even just just the atmosphere was. Yeah, it was. It was a baseball atmosphere. Yeah, it was a sold out crowd every night. That was how rock that's, it was. Oh man, that's, and you just love it. I mean, that's something missing you, baseball now. Well, it's because you get you finally get to be in that setting that you've wanted to so long that you dream about people. Yeah. You know, they see you under the lights in this beautiful stadium, and there's people taking pictures of you, and there's cameras on you, and you're on the Jumbotron, and, you know, you're kind of like, man, this is kind of really happening. <laughs> this, this is pretty cool. All right, so our, our third question. Who would you rather face, Mark McGuire on the Juice or Pablo Sanchez? This is from Pete Norgan, our first guest on the Down in the Dirt podcast. This is old Petey. Me and Pete go back. To the nice spring league. It's where we met in Texas. And honestly, Pablo's got that. <laughs> Pablo's a fastball hunter, man. Like, Mark, I think I could trick Mark up with some curveball and some sliders. <laughs> Pablo's. His, Pablo, his arms are too big. He couldn't get Yeah, I'm, I'm snapping some breakers off. I might learn how to throw a change at that point. And yeah, I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably take McGuire on the sauce over Pablo. <laughs> All right, so our fourth and final question. Uh, like I said at the very beginning of the episode, we were going to jump back uh, at the very end about your beard. <laughs> when did you start growing that? Because like I said, I looked at those college pictures and, and you looked like me. There was nothing there. Yeah, I so I grew like this thing. It it just pops out of nowhere, and 
I shaved. That was the last time I shaved. Was at Pensacola. Actually, wrong. Yeah, wrong, wrong. That USCB. I shaved again my senior year because of the new coach that came in. He had a uh, no beard policy, and I, I threw that out the window about halfway through the season and started regrowing it. So did you have that thing in garden when you first got there? I had. Uh, was it like just I, I knocked it back down. I'd say I was probably at a respectable length. Is what yours is? <laughs> respectable. It's respectable. It's not like too unclassy like this. I look. <laughs> If you if you can you can see it on the camera, but in person it's, it's something. All right, so uh, bounce it off that. This is from Jordan Cummings and Clint Kent. I almost called him Clint. My bad, Kent. Kent Blackstone. Uh, white 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 rock. How to grow a great beard slash. What do you use to keep your beard flawless? Any special products that go into keeping that thing? Looking so I, I, feel like I, I actually have this little black bag. This is there's two of them in my truck. One's got like toothpaste and stuff in it because you live out of your truck when you're in you know the Pecos and you're playing dependent ball. So you're always on the road. So I've got a travel bag that's got like toothpaste and like some deodorant, some conditioner and stuff in it. But then I have this other little black bag that sits in my center console and it's got um, Mountaineer beard oil in it. With a shout wood, out, shout out, uh, Mountaineer Beard Oil Beard Company. I think I got your little bag. I love your product. <laughs> um, I have a little wooden comb. I have the beard oil and the beard butter that I put in it, and it had beard shampoo, but I ran through that like the first two months. And uh, you, you have to condition this thing because it's like it, it gets gnarly. Oh yeah, I know what mine like. If if I like, I'll wash it with shampoo, but if I don't wa uh, condition it after a few days, like, I can feel that it gets, like, um, very coarse. Yeah, it gets real wiry and stringy. Yeah. And, yeah, so, if, like, four or five days, if I don't do anything with this, it's, like, it gets... So, I mean, basically, after having you on the show and growing my beard on my, on my own, I'm going to get a sponsorship for the show from, from who would you say, Mountain? It's Mountaineer, Bre Mountaineer Beard company I mountaineer beard company so we're going to your brand yeah we'll we're, find out we're going to work on getting this show a sponsored by mountaineer beard brand yeah i mean that'd be pretty sweet i've i've bought their stuff twice now and like because a lot of a lot of fans of the beard are females i know big big shocker <laughs> and uh their favorite thing to do is to run up and yank on it as hard as they can yeah because they just think it's hysterical and uh Mountaineer beard oil has really toughened it up, and it makes it to where their hand like slips off of it, and then you can like get away. <laughs> so you can escape. Yeah, you can get out of the clutches of them. So <laughs> Which shout I out mean, to you guys for that. At, at baseball players, you know, we have beards. So I think it'd be a great uh, little <clears throat> ad, is, ad space for them. This is actually a health. This is for health reasons only. I mean, it blocks UV rays from. There's a large section here that is covered <laughs> with a shaded density and. You know what? If I was to shave it off, it would probably be white. Exactly. So no UV rays is burning up here. Exactly. Okay? So I mean, I'm just looking out for my health at this point. And who who else to do it than uh, Mountaineer Beard Brand? Right. I love it. Who else to make you a healthier person than Mountaineer? And beard a healthier brand? beard. So I mean, now let's jump into the the quick question segment. Uh, I have about seven questions for you here. Jump right into them. Fire up. Quick fire. Favorite cleats, brand and style, whatever, whatever is uh, however you so that. so whatever Ross has on the shoe rack. And <laughs> you those, just got and those blue Nikes. I know, there. and they're the sweet. Cal City blue Nikes. Cal City blue Nikes, 
seven dollars and ninety nine cents, eleven and a half. Beautiful cleats. I've pitched great in them, and you know what? I'd have to say those are my favorites so far because they're just the ones I have that go on my feet. <laughs> Favorite bat. Same thing. Brand company. Oh no, I got this one in the back. So Worth made a bat when I was um, <laughs> I was probably ten years old. It was a copperhead and blue, and had red lighting, red writing on it. And that sucker would ting. It was like, ping. Oh, I love that. Oh, my like, God. I can those he- old BSRs. I can hear the it The kids still. these days don't know anything about the BSRs. They don't know about the juice in those bats, Gosh, too. those were awesome. So, it would, I would have to say my favorite bat of all time would have to be Worth Copperhead, Drop 12, Blue Bat. <laughs> drop 12. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. I killed balls with that bat. <laughs> Pinging everywhere. I forgot how big the drops were when we were a little kid. Oh, I forgot. Drop three didn't come around to like high school. Yeah, it was we were mandated. We were literally swinging just like long beer cans is what we were swinging. <laughs> All right, uh, seeds or gum? Ooh, okay. It depends on the activity. I'm an activity guy. Like I like baseball. Am I in my bullpen? Am I am I like am I announcing behind the plate? Like, <laughs> I can't be hocking seeds everywhere if I'm announcing. <laughs> Uh, you're in the bullpen. So, if I'm in the bullpen, I'm more of a seeds guy. Because gum, if you have a pack of gum and you whip it out of the pen, it's gone. Boom. Yeah. They true. eat it like vultures. Seeds, you can at least have a couple rounds, and they're like, oh, if you got seeds, that's where you, you know, bump some seeds off of them. And that's when that, you know, oh, you ate all my seeds, you get the bag tomorrow. Yeah, it's a different life out there in the bullpen. You learn how to barter. You learn how to do weird things. Um, lefties always have something interesting to show yeah, you. Yeah, they bring the backpacks out there. Yeah, they always, lefties always have backpacks. Yeah, lefties are just weird people. I think I honestly should have been left-handed. I was just beaten to be right-handed, so. <laughs> oh, all right, so high pants or low pants? I'm a, I'm a low pants kind of guy, but I got some rocker, ca- well, okay, so pitching, if I was hitting, I would have my pants up. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen you with your pants up. Because I got, well, look at these things. Look at these rockers. I know, I see them. They cut them pants, man, too tight. Cut the circulation <laughs> off. Slow me down. So I'm a pants down guy. Plus, I really don't have, like, you know, I try to make my legs look as long as possible because I'm not real tall. So I get on the mat. See, I, try, see, I, I, was, big. I was always the opposite. I thought wearing my pants up made me look taller. I felt like when I wore my pants down, it made me look like a short little... Stumpy guy. See, they'll see how big my calves are then. They'll be like, oh, I'm definitely short then. <laughs> All right, you said, uh, I know you said you didn't really watch baseball growing up, or watch TV, I should say, but favorite uniform in the MLB, do you have one? I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I don't, I literally don't, don't watch. We don't, we don't have one? I, I don't, I mean, probably, I probably, I'm always a fan of St. Patrick's Day uniforms, just because they're green, and that's literally. They yeah. just wore those the other day. Yeah, I know. So- I know the Red Sox ones. Red Sox ones are sweet. But those are the ones Sox. with the white. I've seen the ones with the either white hat. Yeah, white hat. Uh, or white white top, green bill, white lettering on a green jersey. I think that's the one I want. So and it was. Sick. They were nice. They're sick. Okay, you make it to the big leagues. You get your first contract, first uh, check, whatever you want to call it. That's your first purchase with your MLB check, MLB contract. I'm going to have to buy new clothes because I'm going to cry all over the ones that I got. But I honestly, first purchase, for first realistic purchase would probably be, I, I'm going to get myself a nice a nice vehicle. Like, <laughs> I've, uh, I've literally, I had the same truck since high school, since I was 16 years old. It's got 200 and something thousand miles on it. It's literally made it to California and limped back. 
<laughs> so I'm going to go buy a nice vehicle for myself. But after that, man, I, truthfully, whatever my family needs, I would just do it that way. I mean, and I would. I'd set my parents up to where they had their stuff taken care of. I'd put buy myself a house, nice little piece of land. I've thought about this for a while. Oh, yeah. Pay off my sister's whatever she's got. Help her get her things, set her two kids up for some college funds, and I've done I've done the same thing. We, and just kind of live life. You got to sit there and visualize the moment, and uh, you know, I know for me it's like that moment that that the manager wherever calls you in and says, "Hey, you're going to big leagues," and it's the moment of getting to tell my dad, "Yeah, hey, it, it, it all it was all worth it. It all paid off." Right. So I've done I've done that same thing. I know I know how you feel about oh, the yeah. family situation. It's a, it's an emotional thing, man, and it's crazy to think that that that's a driving factor behind something that hasn't happened or there's no prediction that it's guaranteed to happen. But it's something that I want so bad that I can feel those emotions already. Exactly, and they're already overwhelming enough that the day that it potentially does happen, like I'm just probably break down and cry. <laughs> Which you have every right to. Last question, and then we're going to sign off. If you could sit down with one player in history, who would it be? If you, do you have anyone that, that, that you could sit, sit down with? With one player, who would it be? You know, his name is Jim Palmer, and I wrote a paper on him, and he was a two-way guy. <laughs> so my junior year, this is the type of, type of shit that our coach would do my junior year. So our junior year, that sucker gave us each a baseball player to do a report on. Not like a paragraph, a two-page report to turn back in. And he had picked out players from every level. And he was like, you know, these are who people I think, you know, remind me of you. And they were professional players. And he gave me Jim Palmer. And uh, I did a report on him. And he was a two-way guy, right-handed thrower. And I probably just want to sit down and pick his brain for a little bit because, you know, it's like, I kind of knew his life. I don't. I honestly couldn't tell you anything other than that and his name. But I would probably want to sit down with him because I did a, do a book report on him, and I thought it was pretty cool that my coach envisioned me as this guy. He's like, I can see you being him in the pros, and I was like, that's pretty cool that you see me as this guy. And I was like, I'd probably like to meet that guy. See how he was. I can get down with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, there's obvious answers. Like, I'd love to meet Derek Jeter. Or, yeah. Like. You know, Nolan Ryan, because just a hard-throwing Texas guy who beat the piss out of somebody on the mound. Like, <laughs> all right, like, yeah, I'd like to shake that man's hand. <laughs> now, the last thing I ask from you before we sign you off is just whatever kind of advice you have to give to any kids, high school, college, uh, younger than that, just anybody that's listening. Um, any advice you want to give them, any guidance for their career that helped you and you think can help them you know I really uh, like I said it kind of all rolls back to if you truly don't love or enjoy just doing what you're doing no matter if it's baseball or not if you truly don't enjoy doing that I would just ask you to find the reason to what's stopping you from doing what you're doing or doing what you want to do what's stopping you confront that and then just kind of go on to do what you really want to do in life Nothing, nothing stops you in this world but yourself. And it's taken a long time for me to see that. Other than, like, money. Because money, you know, <laughs> you got to have some money for some gas to, like, go do your stuff. <laughs> so, 
Maybe figure out a way to get like a hundred bucks in gas and then go do your thing. But don't ever let anybody other than you tell you what to do. And I had people for the longest time growing up, not growing up, but like through my career as a baseball player, tell me what I couldn't do. And, you know, I kind of took it in the wrong way when I was younger, but as I got older, I just kind of used that, as we say, the internal fire. Like, it fuels me to prove them wrong because they have no reason to tell me that I can't do that. So, overall, just some generic advice that kind of goes with my philosophy with everything. Just kind of keep it simple and do what you want to do and don't let nobody stop you. So if you believe in it, you can do it. You can do it. And that is the true, that is the true truth. I love it, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having me. Sitting down with me. I had a blast, dude. I had a good I'm time. Glad, with. I'm glad we got to sit down and talk, interview uh, for the podcast. All you guys could, uh, Justin, I'd say, one of the best dudes I've met in baseball. So to have him on, give him, uh, allow him to share his story with you guys. Uh, like I said, the fact that, you know, he, uh, you know, having that gap between baseball going junior college before he went to his university, um, just kind of give you guys a little bit more insight of, of the past that you can take. Um, you know, like he said, that the picture is not always as clear as it may seem uh, mm-hmm. to get to where you want to be. So that's why I wanted to bring him on. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thanks for getting down and dirty with me in the podcast. Thanks for tuning in for my interview with Justin Cortesis. Y'all, oh, that's what we got to do. We got to sign you off. What, uh, where, where can all my listeners find you on, on social media if they want to follow you? So, listeners, if you are listening and you just want to keep up my wild and crazy life, um, you can follow me at Instagram. It's at Cortesis, which is K-O-R-T-E-S-S-I-S, which is, seems to give everybody a problem because it's just Greek and all over the place. <laughs> so, um, I appreciate you having me on the show, Carson. Carson Lee, great guy. Uh, one of the best guys who I've met through independent ball, and I'm thankful that I have met him. Him and his family have literally done nothing but made me feel at home through my entire experience through this country and Canada. <laughs> so, you know, I have nothing but love for Carson, and I appreciate everything he's done for me. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see where his journey takes us, man. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate this. Thank you guys for listening. Till next time. Thank you. And that's the end of my interview with Justin Cortesis. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Doing these interviews and hearing people's different stories and journeys is so entertaining and rewarding. So I hope you guys are not only enjoying it, but are able to take a piece of it to apply to yourself as well. Like I said, Justin is one of the best dudes I've met in this game. And that's one of the coolest things about being able to play professional baseball is just the different people you get to meet from all over the country and that you get to play with year in and year out and the relationships you get to build. But that's going to do it for this episode. I thank you guys for getting dirty with me on the Down in the Dirt podcast. I am wanting to add in some music and effects on the show. So let me know if you would like that. Um, you know, I'm not really sure how to do it or where to get the, the music from. So if you have any idea how I could go about that, please let me know. But till next time, guys.